Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Lord, we've grown during these last three weeks. But we praise you, Lord, because we are confident that you will complete the work that you started in us. And we know that this is the beginning of this journey. And we just want to pray you give us endurance, that you would give us faithfulness, you would give us vision, Lord, that you would help us to stay on the path. Father, we know that there is an evil one on this earth who is going to do his best to stop us, but we pray and ask that always we would humble ourselves before you, God, and receive that grace you are so willing to give. Right now, we just pray for uh, open hearts, open minds, and the Holy Spirit to bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, tonight's message is entitled, The Final Prophecy. And we're going to discover what the final prophecy is. It's found in the book of Revelation. But I want to start off by talking about this topic by asking a question. And it's a question that you don't necessarily have to give me an answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Here it is. When you think of heaven, what comes to your mind? When you think of heaven, what comes to your mind? Normally when you hear a question like that, immediately what comes to your mind is clouds, right? When you think about heaven, you think about angels. And when you think about heaven, you see almost this fuzzy picture in your mind, then it fades away and you get distracted by something else. But folks, I want you to understand something. The reason why a lot of people are not interested in eternal life, they're not interested in heaven, it has no appeal to them, is because they don't really know what the Bible teaches about heaven. And that's why we're here tonight. The final prophecy is about the final message in the book of Revelation. It is a revelation of heaven. Can you say amen to that? And you're going to really like this because we're going to end this with fireworks. We're going to end this in a very spectacular way. We're going to have some powerful music right after this. Tonight's message, the final prophecy. The final prophecy. What we discover from the Bible in the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Redemption is the story of God saving humanity. Amen? And some people ask the question, is there any other books of the Bible that needed to be there? I heard one person who asked that question, very good question he asked, and it was, what about these other books that are out there? The book of Enoch, or the second book of Daniel, or the, uh, the epistle of Barnabas, or the gospel of Thomas. What about all these other books? That's an excellent question. When you have documentaries that are constantly appearing on the Discovery Channel or National Geographic, and you're wondering to yourself, wait a second, is there anything else in these other books? Here's the thing to understand, folks. The people who put the Bible together, the early church fathers, we have their basic canon. The word canon simply means a criteria. And so there was a criteria in putting all the books of the Bible together. The criteria was very simple. It had to do with accurate historical dating. It had to do with uh, the, uh, the origins of the book. It had to do with the authorship. And so taking this basic criteria, they were able to determine which books should be in the Bible and which books should not be in the Bible. So let's take one book, for example. Let's take the Gospel of Thomas. Okay? Now, the Gospel of Thomas is a very interesting book. You have Jesus as a young boy doing some strange things the rest of the Gospels don't mention at all. The Gospels are actually very silent about his, his childhood, and there's a good reason for that. But is there anything to the Gospel of Thomas? 
Well, here's the big problem with the Gospel of Thomas. This is why the church fathers didn't put this in the canon. And it's simply because the Gospel of Thomas dates years later when Thomas was already dead. The actual writer or the actual origin of the Gospel of Thomas, the dating, is actually years later when Thomas was already dead. He was sleeping in the grave. And so when they were putting the canon together, they would say, wait a second, the dating, the dating of this book is extremely way off. And so therefore, it was not put in the Bible. When you actually take a good look at the Gospel of Thomas, you realize there's there are a lot of contradictions in that Gospel. There's a good reason why that was on there. That was not an inspired Gospel. You take a good look at the book of Enoch or the book of Adam. The Jewish people call those pseudopigraphas, or in other words, false books. There's a good reason why those books do not, are not in the canon. There is suspicion about their origins. In other words, they were probably written by Jewish writers in their sort of take on what happened in the life of Adam or in the life of Enoch. So there's very good reasons why those books were not put in the canon. Folks, when you take a good look at the scriptures, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, everything that's in here right now is enough to save you. Amen? Everything that's in this book is enough to save you. So all the other books, like the Gospel of Thomas or the, the Epistle of Barnabas or the second book of Daniel, those are not necessary. When you actually take a good look at them, you realize why they're not in the Scriptures. In the second book of Daniel, you have Daniel sacrificing entrails to a dragon. That's completely out of the character of Daniel. And so when you see these things, you realize that those who are part of that canon process were, were very intelligent men. They were, individual who were individuals who were using some basic common sense so we can trust the Word of God. Amen? Amen? But from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, they form two bookends, and in the middle is your story, it's my story. Amen? And so this is why it's actually important to study what the end of the story is. We need to know what God's going to do at the very end. Amen? And that's why Bible prophecy is extremely important. But what we discover, it's not just our story, it's His story. Amen? Now what does the Bible teach us about heaven? What does the Bible teach us about those pearly gates that one day we're going to walk through? Is Hollywood right in their depictions about heaven? Is artistry right on their depictions of heaven? Does the Bible actually talk a lot about heaven? Or is it just clouds, mirrors, and smoke? Folks, look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ears heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now watch this. This is extremely important. Take a good look at what the first part of this verse says. Eye has not seen. In other words, there is nothing on earth that compares to heaven. There is nothing you have actually laid your eyes upon on earth that actually compares to what's really in heaven. Nor ear has heard. In other words, there is no music that you have heard that compares to heavenly music. There's nothing on earth that even comes close. Nor have entered into the heart of man. What does that mean? There is nothing in the imagination of man that compares to really what's in heaven. You can take the most brilliant man, the most intelligent man, and he can come nowhere close to what's really in heaven. All these things God has prepared for those who what? Love him. Those who love him. It's people who love Jesus who are going to be in heaven. Amen? 
What is God preparing? Look what the Bible is saying in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be their God, for he has prepared a what? A city for them. So what is God preparing for us? A city. The Bible makes it very clear, and this city is called the New Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem means city of peace. God is preparing a new city of peace. There's two cities in the book of Revelation. One city is Babylon. The other city is Jerusalem. Now, which one of these cities do we need to come out of? Babylon, right? What does the Bible say in Revelation chapter 18, verse 4? Come out of Babylon, my what? People. Where's the majority of God's people? In Babylon. And what does the word Babylon mean? Confusion. So God is calling you out of confusion. What is he calling you into? He is calling you to the city of peace, the new Jerusalem. The Bible says that God is not ashamed to be your God. Can you say amen to that? But are you ashamed of being his servant? Are you ashamed of being a follower of Christ? The Bible says God is not embarrassed by you. God is not ashamed by you. Praise the Lord for that. And it makes it very clear that he's preparing a city for you. In other words, he is saying you belong to him. He's so proud of it. He is going to make a city for you. Amen. Where is this city located? Take your Bible. Let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. You're going to see something very remarkable about this heavenly city that God is preparing for his people. Revelation chapter 21. All right, now let's take a good look at verse 1. I saw a new heaven and a new what? Earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. What the Bible is describing is something very interesting. Keep going. Also, there was no more sea, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The Bible makes it very clear. Where is this New Jerusalem right now? In heaven. That's why at the end of time, the new Jerusalem comes out of heaven to what? Earth. After the thousand years that we spend with God, God is going to take us back to this planet. He's going to put an end to sin once and for all. He's going to recreate this planet. And this new Jerusalem, this city that God has planned for all of his people, will be the center of the universe. You know why? Because God is there and God is the center of the universe. Amen? God will take the worst people, the worst beings, the most wicked creations he has in his entire universe, and he will make that location the very place where his presence will dwell most fully. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord for that. Where is the city located right now? This city is located in heaven. But how big is this city? Are there boundaries to the new Jerusalem? The Bible makes it very clear that new Jerusalem can be measured. This heavenly city that God has been preparing can be measured. The description is given there in Revelation chapter 21. And when you take that description, what you discover about this new Jerusalem, it's the size of several small states. The size of several small states. In fact, when you take what the Bible says in Revelation, it is 375 miles long on each side. Now talk about a mansion, amen? Can you imagine that? This big city, this big city is enough to house the entire, the entire human race. But guess what? The entire human race will still not be able to be there. Why? Because many have chosen not to be part of God's heavenly kingdom. But this city is big enough to save every single person on earth. 
In fact, they've done calculations on this, and they said, okay, based upon just the simple borders, not so much the height, is it possible for every member of humanity to actually fit into this city? And what creationists and what scientists have actually discovered is that this city is capable of saving or holding every member of the human family that ever lived. Folks, I want you to understand something. God is not willing that none should perish. Amen? But we, by our choices, by our decisions, can choose to reject God's will. Amen? And what you discover, this is so important. What you discover is that God is wanting to fill this city with as many people as possible. Amen? The walls. What does the Bible say about the walls? Look what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 21. The walls of this heavenly city. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So the Bible makes it very clear. This wall that surrounds the new Jerusalem has 12 gates at it, 12 gates on, on the, around the entire city. And what does the Bible say? There are names written at the top of the gates. But what are the names? The names are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. What are these names? Now, some psychologists have actually looked at all the personalities that exist in this world, and they believe there's probably around anywhere from 11 to 12 personalities in the entire world. Why is that very important? Because when God chose 12 tribes, he was picking, I believe, individuals or sort of personality categories from every category, excuse me, from the entire category of the human race. That's why God chose 12 disciples. In some way, I believe when you take a good look at what the scriptures are teaching, you discover that these special gates are going to be special gates for children of Israel individuals who fit a certain category to be able to walk through. Those who have the, you can say, the personality of Peter are going to walk through a special gate. Those who have the personality of Thomas, individuals who God had to sort of prod to get to believe, they're going to be individuals who are going to enter through another gate. But the goal is all the same, and that's Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Will we know each other in heaven? People ask the question, wait a minute, when we're all in heaven, are we going to recognize each other? Or are we going to lose our identities, our memories? Are we all going to get to the point where we don't even know each other anymore? Well, take a good look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 11. Many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The Bible makes it very clear, God's people are going to come from the all over the entire world. Amen? And the remarkable thing is, is that we're going to be able to sit down with who? Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. Now think about this. If we know who Abraham is, if we know who Isaac is, if we know who Jacob is in the kingdom of heaven, surely we will know who we are. Can you say amen to that? You will not lose your identity. You will not lose your identity. And if we can recognize these people, sure enough, we're going to be able to recognize each other. Amen? Amen. Watch what the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. What else is there in this New Jerusalem? What else is there in this heavenly city? Take your Bible. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. Page 664. 
Now watch what the Bible says right here, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. Verse 6, the wolf shall also dwell with the what? The lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. What the Bible does is give us a glimpse of heaven, and what we discover is that animals that are normally prey and predator, what we discover about this is in this glimpse of the new heavens, new earth, we find that those animals have lost their thirst for blood. Can you say amen to that? The Bible makes it very clear that there will be no sin in heaven. And what is the wages of sin? Death. And so we understand that death comes from sin. And if there is no more sin in heaven, guess what there is no more of? Death. That's exactly right. So these animals, many times we watch on National Geographic, that run up and just take out that little baby gazelle or take out that little baby deer, we discover that that predator instinct will be done away with. We will discover these huge, gorgeous animals that God had created will be brought into their beautiful, beautiful original creation and they will have no more that thirst for blood. These animals will be animals that will be very interesting. We'll be, able to, we'll be able to play with them, hang out with them. We'll be able to lead them. The Bible even says a little child will lead them. Can you imagine that? A big ferocious lion and a little child pulling at his mane. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness. But in the new heavens and the new earth, the Bible says there's going to be a glimpse one day. We're going to see, we're going to see a troop of animals. Predator animals and a little baby, a little child walking ahead of them. Can you say amen to that? What a powerful day that's going to be. But the Bible makes it very clear. In the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more strife. Amen? Jesus is calling each one of us to be part of this heavenly kingdom. Amen? Now here's something that's very interesting. A lot of people ask the question, why does the Bible talk about weeping and gnashing of teeth all the time? Jesus made several mentions of it in the gospel. What is this whole concept about weeping and gnashing of teeth? It sounds like somebody who went, through the, went to a dentist and came out with their braces put on. But what exactly is this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Well, let's take our Bible. Let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. What is this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Let's start with verse 10. Page 941. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found so great, such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. Now watch what Jesus says. It's sort of a caveat. He says, and there will be weeping and what? Gnashing of teeth. It sounds quite unusual when you think about it. Wait a minute. Jesus just said that many are going to come from the east. Many are going to come from the west. And by the way, when you look at Jesus' ministry... Those who came in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, remember when Jesus was just a child? Magi came from the east. At the very end of Christ's life, you find that Greeks came from the west to see Jesus. This is so awesome. But what Jesus is describing is that in this new Jerusalem, in heaven, that there's going to be all sorts of people. There are going to be people from the east, people from the west, people from foreign lands who are going to be part of this kingdom. But look what the scripture says. But the children of the kingdom will be outside. The Bible makes it very clear. Those who heaven 
had originally intended to be part of its kingdom will actually be individuals who are on the outside. People who should have been there. People who actually knew about heaven. And the Bible makes it very clear right afterwards, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you take a good look at that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, what exactly does it mean? Now, the great thing about Bible study is that if you want to determine the meaning of a phrase, you take your concordance and you go to the very first place where that phrase appears. And you actually find it in the book of Psalms. Psalms 112. Take your Bible. Let's go to Psalms 112. Psalms 112. Psalms 112. What is this weeping and gnashing of teeth? Is it the, the horrible hellfire that people will be going through? Is it this pain that God is inflicting upon those who have rejected his, his mercy? Are these sinners in the hands of an angry God feeling the torment of everlasting pain? No, we discovered that hell is not for eternity. But what exactly is this weeping and gnashing and that will take place right before the wicked are ultimately destroyed? Take your Bible, go to Psalms 112. Are we all there? Psalms 112. Now go all the way to verse 5. Go all, let's actually start with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in what? His commandments. Let's keep going. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious, full of compassion and righteous. A good man let deals graciously and lends. He guides his fare with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Pay attention to verse, the next few verses. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established, and he will not be afraid until he sees his desires upon his enemies. Verse 9, he is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be what? Grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked will perish. In other words, what David is describing is when the wicked are seeing the righteous honored, they're going to weep and gnash with their teeth. In other words, with regret in their hearts and their minds, they will cringe their teeth when they realize it could have been them in the kingdom. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 8, when they see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob sitting down with them, and they themselves are outside, they're going to weep and gnash with their teeth. In other words, that weeping and gnashing with teeth is not caused by God. It is simply their reaction when they realize what they could have had, but they walked away from it. What they could have had, but they walked away from it. Folks, what you will find in those who are outside the gates of the new Jerusalem is pure regret when they realize that they could have had eternity with Jesus. What they will regret is when they could have realized how easy it could have been for them to be part of the heavenly kingdom, but outside they will be full of regret and sorrow when they realize that could have been me in there. Folks, I want you to understand something. God wants everyone in his kingdom. Amen? 
God wants everybody in his kingdom, and I believe that's why you are here tonight. I believe that's why you are seeking the Lord. I believe with my whole heart, that's why you are studying the word of God. Amen? We are on a path to heaven, and nothing should hold us back. We want to let no sin that easily besets us hold us back from the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling each and every one of us to be part of this kingdom of heaven. Amen? Another question that comes to our mind, wait a second, okay, what are we actually going to eat in heaven? What are we actually going to eat in heaven? Watch what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 22. In the midst of the street of it, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life. Wait a second, where do we see the tree of life before? In the book of Genesis, right? In the book of Genesis, we actually saw two trees. What were the two trees? The tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of what? Life. At the very end, in the book of Revelation, we're scratching our head. Why? Because we're not seeing that Garden of Eden with the same tree of knowledge and good and evil. What tree is only there? The tree of life. Wait a second. What happened to the tree of knowledge and good and evil? What happened to it? Folks, I want you to understand something. God's people understand. God's people have made that choice. God's people are very clear about the issues. Folks, there's a question that comes up. Wait a second. How is God going to prevent sin from ever rising up again? Guess what? God is going to have a people on earth who fully understand the consequences of sin, who will know when some of their brothers and sisters are out there, who know by the very fact that their Lord and Savior has these eternal scars, these individuals will know through experience what it means to be or to choose a life apart from God. And folks, what humanity will be. God will use humanity to be a safeguard for the entire universe. Folks, we'll be able to share our testimony to the entire universe about how God delivered us from sin. We will share with this entire universe the the price of redemption. We will share all the things that God has wrought for us and how he has saved us from a life of sin and darkness. And so this is extremely important. God will ensure the safety of the universe by humanity. That's so important because what God does in making sure sin doesn't rise up at the same time, he's also preserving free will. He's also preserving free will. God doesn't just say there's going to be no more sin in heaven and I'm putting my foot down and making sure it's not going to happen. I believe God's going to do everything in his power. But how does he ensure that beings who have freedom of choice are never going to do it again? God will have a group of people who will be able to share with new creations, old creations, all that God has wrought for them. And they'll be able to share the choices that they have made. Your life is going to be a testimony to the entire universe. Your life is going to be a testimony of God's goodness and His grace that delivered you from the power of sin. Can you say amen to that? And one day we're going to be able to partake of that beautiful tree of life. Can you imagine what that tree of life is? Look what the Bible says. Which bore 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every what? Month. There's going to be a brand new fruit on the tree of life. Now imagine that. Here you are. You're walking up to that tree of life and Jesus is handing you the most biggest, luscious fruit you've ever eaten. Can you imagine a giant grape and you're just cutting slabs of it? Right? You're cutting slabs of it. I mean, you're absolutely going to love this fruit. And can you imagine when you eat of that fruit? Can you imagine what that's going to be when you actually put your mouth 
and just chew fruit from the tree of life. Can you imagine that's going to be better than any food that you've ever tasted on earth? Can you say amen to that? By the way, you're saying, how do you know it's going to be grapes? Well, here's a clue. Now, we know there's 12 manner of fruits. There's different fruits. But how do you know grapes are going to be involved? Because I remember something that Jesus had said. He said this to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He gave them a cup of grape juice, delicious grape juice. Do you remember what he said? He said, I will no longer. Do you remember the rest of that verse? I will no longer partake of the fruit of this vine until I drink it with you in our fathers in heaven. Maybe there's juicing in heaven. I'm not sure, but I want you to understand something. What we're going to do is we're definitely going to have delicious grapes in heaven. Amen? And guess what? Jesus is thirsty for grape juice. You know why? Because he knows that when he drinks that grape juice, it's going to be with you right next to him. And folks, today I had some delicious grape juice. And I thought, wow, can't wait till I drink this with Jesus. He's waiting. He's waiting. Amen? Look what the Bible says about this tree. It's extremely important. This took place in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible was talking about this tree, that those who ate of it would live forever. Can you imagine that when we partake of that fruit? Forever, 12 manner of fruits we're going to be able to eat. Different fruits, one every month, one kind every month, and it's going to be awesome when we have that delicious meal with Jesus. Can you say amen to that? What about our bodies? What about our bodies? Watch what Philippians chapter 3, verse 21 says. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. What we discover about Jesus is that after he resurrected, he had a glorified human body. By the way, does anybody know what color is the hair of Jesus right now? That's, that, that's exactly right. When you read Revelation chapter 1, when Jesus appears to John the Revelator, the Bible makes it very clear his hair is white. Look what the scripture says. He is going to transform our bodies into his glorious body. Do you remember what Jesus did in his glorified bodily body? He was able to go through walls, right? He was able to do wonderful things with that body. But the Bible makes it very clear that we're going to be given brand new bodies. And as we're being resurrected or we are being translated at the second coming, we're going to be given brand new bodies. And those, can you imagine that? Those who we knew who passed away in death. Those who we knew who passed away with the sorrow of disease. Those who've been crippled. Those who, have, who were blind. Those who were feeble. Those who have lost many of their senses. The Bible makes it very clear at the second coming, we're going to give brand new bodies. Amen? Can you imagine that? A brand new body. A body that's not going to get tired. A body that's not going to get hurt. A body that's not going to get cut. A body that's not going to have blemishes. Folks, I want you to understand something. God is looking forward to this day when he's able to relieve the suffering of humanity. Can you say amen to that? And that's why when Jesus was on earth, he was healing everybody left and right. Why? Because heaven had come down. Heaven came down, and in heaven's presence, we are healed. Amen? And God can't wait for that day when he heals the human body that has been so affected by this sin disease. God can't wait for that special day. I love what Ellen White says in the book of Education, page 307. She's talking about heaven, and she starts talking about the mind. Look what she says in talking about that. 
every power will be developed, every capability increased, the grandest enterprises will be carried forward, the loftiest aspirations will be reached, and the highest ambitions realized. And still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of body, mind, and soul. Our minds right now are very limited. Our minds have been diseased by sin. But the Bible makes it very clear at the very end when God recreates us, we're going to be given a brand new brain. Now with this physical brain that houses our original identity, our original mind, we're going to be able to reach new heights of thought, experience new emotions, new feelings, things that we have never thought possible because of God's restorative act of creation. Can you say amen to that or recreation? Watch what Isaiah chapter 6, verse 66, verse 22 through 23 also says about the new heavens and new earth. Watch what the Bible says. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And by the way, when you read Revelation chapter 3, what you're going to discover is a very special thing God is going to give to all of humanity. Says the Lord... And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one, what's that next word? Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. The Bible makes it very clear that in heaven there will be a Sabbath that will be kept. There will be a Sabbath that will be kept, and the Bible makes it clear that this will be the time to worship the Lord. Can you say amen to that? But throughout our time on heaven, we're going to be in close communion with God. We're going to be able to spend time with God and talk to God. And he is going to speak to us about all the things in our lives that did not make sense. Can you imagine that? Here you are walking by the water of the river of life. And the question comes back to you, what about that situation that took place on, in my life many years ago? And here Jesus comes right next to you. And you say, Lord... I have something I want to talk to you about. And as you begin to share with him that experience that you went through, that trial, that seemed like it had no resolution, Jesus will begin to open up your life and he will share with you all the things that he did to lead you through it. Can you say amen to that? What a day it will be. And guess what? Ultimately, the question above all questions will finally be answered. Why? Can you say amen to that? Can't wait for that special day. Can't wait for that special day that we'll be able to sit down with Jesus. Now take your Bible, go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Are we all there? That's page 1145. This is Paul's last letter that was actually written shortly after he was beheaded. He was an individual who had served God faithfully and he, know, he knew who he had believed in. And so in his last letter, in the last chapter, he's telling the disciples, he's telling all the followers of Christ, he is saying, look, I have fought the good fight. I have stood up. The Lord has brought me this far. And then he wants to really admonish the believers. And look what he says in verse 8. Finally. In other words, this is the end. There is laid up for me the crown of what? Righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Paul saying, you know, I can't wait for that day where God himself will place a crown upon me. Where God himself will place that crown upon me. And then he says, look, but not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his, what? 
appearing. What's a Seventh-day Adventist? An Adventist is not somebody who just knows about the second coming, but somebody, second coming, or, but it's somebody who loves the second coming. Can you say amen to that? And so what God is describing here, he's inspiring Paul to write something to admonish the believers. He is saying, finally, there is laid up for me that crown of righteousness. The righteous judge shall give to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all those who have loved his what? Appearing. Paul, in his very last letter, looks forward in faith to that time at the second coming when that trumpet shall tra- sound. God will take us to heaven and he himself will personally place crowns upon us. Praise the Lord. Can't you wait for that day? Amen. Folks, God is wanting to start this day sooner than later. Amen. And when we spread his gospel, when we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter makes it very clear we're hastening the time of his second coming. One day God himself, one day God himself is going to come. He's not going to send an angel to retrieve you. No, the Bible makes it very clear. He is going to come himself with all of his angels and he himself is going to receive you. And the Bible says that we will meet him in the air. We will meet the broken family of humanity in the air. We're going to be reunited in the air with all those who we have loved and those who have followed Jesus, that we're going to be reunited in the air. Can you, can, can you not wait for that day? Folks, I praise the Lord because it's going to be an exciting thing when Jesus comes back. He wants to take each and every one of us home. Can you say amen to that? And what an awesome time that's going to be. Now take your Bible. Take your Bible, go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to show you guys something that's very interesting. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. All right, now let's go there. Now, right after you read the destruction of sin, what you discover is that God recreates the earth. After God destroys the earth, after he destroys sin, he recreates the earth. But watch what the Bible says after the thousand years. Revelation chapter 21. This is extremely important. What you find in Revelation chapter 20 is the end of sin and suffering. And when God recreates the world, watch what the Bible says in Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And then I saw the new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no more sea. Why is there no more sea in heaven? Why is there no more sea on this recreated earth? There will be nothing that divides the human family. Sure enough, there will be beautiful bodies of water, rivers, but no sea to divide the human family ever again. Amen? Let's keep going. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When God recreates this world, it's going to be honeymoon time with the Lord. Amen? And then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them. And be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. That should be to you the greatest indication that hell is not for all of eternity. That God is going to put an end to sin. And when he puts an end to sin and suffering once and for all, he's going to recreate this world. And the Bible says after he has finally put an end to sin, it's at that moment that he'll wipe away tears from our eyes. Folks, I want you to understand something. This is so important. God wants to put an end to suffering. Sin has gone on too long. 
Sin has gone on too long and has claimed too many victims. And God is saying, it's time for me to put an end to this. But folks, he's been holding on for each and every one of you. It's because of the mercy of God is why he didn't come 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. It's because of the mercy of God why he didn't come last year. Because he wanted you in. He wanted you in. And at the very end, when God puts an end to sin and suffering, this act of mercy to put an end to sin, I love what Ellen White describes in the book Great Controversy. She says this, the great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy declare that God is love. That God is love. Folks, God wants you to be part of that day when he recreates this world. He wants you to be part of that day when he opens up the gates of the new Jerusalem on this brand new created planet, God wants you to be part of that day, that eternity that you spend with him. When he shows you all the unnumbered worlds that he has created, all the unnumbered lives that he has made, all the unfallen worlds, God wants to show you these things. God wants to show you these things. The Bible makes it very clear. He who overcomes... He who overcomes shall inherit all these things. But what are you overcoming? What are you overcoming? The sinfulness of your own heart. Folks, the greatest battle you will ever have to fight will be the battle with yourself. It's not those who are on the outside who are the enemy. It's those who are on the inside, your heart. Your inner me is the enemy. And folks, it is self that prevents us from following God. It is self that prevents us from being in part of God's kingdom. It is self that stops us from following Jesus. Our pride prevents us from following Jesus. Folks, listen to me when I'm saying this to you. Folks, it's because of pride is why people will be outside the kingdom. It will be because of self why people are outside. When God finally has to say no more, goodbye. And you will break the heart of the Lord. Because there's only one you in this universe. God wants you to be part of his kingdom. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, He who overcomes, I will give him a white stone with his, a new name on it. One day, God is going to give you a white stone. But what's going to be on the white stone? The book of Revelation declares a new name will be on it. God is going to give you a brand new name in addition to the name you have. And this name will be a special name that God will give you. A name based upon your life on earth. God's in the business of giving brand new names. Amen? He gave Abram the name Abraham. He gave the name to Simon, Peter. Over and over again throughout scripture, he gave the name Jacob. He told Jacob, your new name is going to be Israel. But one day God's going to hand you a brand new stone. He said to those who overcome, those who overcome, those who overcome self are going to be part of my kingdom. And the greatest battle you will ever have to fight will be yourself. Folks, God wants every one of you in his kingdom. Amen? God wants every one of you in his kingdom.
How many people today, by the raising of their hands, says, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want nothing to hold me back. I want to be part of your heavenly kingdom. Do you believe that God is wanting to come back soon? With all his heart, folks. But he wants to have a people who are ready for his soon return. And God is calling each one of us to keep me moving forward in the things that we have learned. We have learned so much. We have learned so much from Bible prophecy, and it would be a shame for us to walk away from that. God has given us this truth for such a time as this, and he is calling us to go forward in that truth. Amen? I'm going to end by sharing a story. A story of two missionaries who had come back from Africa. They spent 20 years in Africa doing mission work. 20 years giving their life. They were elderly now. And as they were coming home, the plane landed. And as they came off that plane walking right down that staircase, they looked and down the airport, they saw another plane had landed and there was a crowd gathered. And when the plane landed, the staircase came down, out came Teddy Roosevelt. Out came Teddy Roosevelt, and the crowd cheered, and all these balloons went up, and everyone was so excited because Teddy Roosevelt had returned from a hunting trip in Africa. Come back after killing a few animals there, and when he returned, everyone was so excited he's back. But this missionary that had come back with his wife, no one was there. No one was there. There were no balloons. There was no fanfare. There was no cheer. There was no crowd. The husband turns to his wife and he says, why is it that this man who spent a few days killing animals comes back and everyone cheers him? And here we are, we have given 20 years of our life and no one's here to welcome us, welcome us home. And his wife, who was a very intelligent lady, she turns to him and says, honey, it's because we're not home yet. Amen? We're not home yet. We're not home yet, but one day there's going to be a time that Jesus will, will take us home. And all of heaven will rejoice because their lost sheep have finally come home. Folks, it is worth everything to us. It is worth everything to us to follow the Bible. It is worth everything to us to follow the truth of Scripture. Nothing in this world shall hold us back. Not self. Self should never stand in the way. Fear should never prevent us. But faith in Jesus should guide us and lead us. How many people again by the raising of their hands say, Lord, I don't want nothing to hold me back. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, can we kneel? Let's kneel. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much because we know, Lord, that you will bring us home one day, one day soon. And we look forward to that day, God, when all of heaven will rejoice because we have finally come home. And Lord, what will be most beautiful, most awesome is the day that we see you face to face. And Father, that will be the most precious sight to every one of us. God, there is nothing more important than that. 
I just want to pray for these people, Lord. I know you love them. And you have brought them here to understand these things. And God, there's many temptations in this world, many trials that will afflict them. Many people who will try to lead them astray. And we know that Satan will do his best to push them away from what they have learned. But God, hold them. Lose not any one of them, God. But guide them home. Jesus, because all we have is you. Thank you so much, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.